And uh, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Amos chapter 4. Amos chapter 4, which is on page number 813 in the Bibles in the pew racks in front of you. Uh, at Leonardtown Baptist, we tend to go through books of the Bible, and as the Lord would have it, I suppose, um, I really know how to pick them as far as the sequence goes for Mother's Day. Because last year, if you'll recall, we were in the Olivet Discourse. Brother Bill, we were talking about, uh, you know, wars and rumors of wars and birth pains and other things like that. Uh, today, good old Amos ends up calling the oppressive women of Samaria cows. <laughs> now, the wonderfully relieving thing is that I don't think Amos would have described any of our women at Leonardtown Baptist Church like that. We have some of the finest, godliest, most compassionate women in our church family. For whatever reason, the Lord has seen fit to bring us the good ones, and they stay, and the bad ones just seem to move on. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. For Mother's Day, I promised Christina that I would limit the dad jokes to only three, so I won't utter another one. Okay, okay, I'm done. I've had two of my three dad jokes for the day, and uh, I need a spare one for when the afternoon comes. Plus, I'm sure you're tired of me milking all these cow jokes anyway. So the truth is, now I'm out, and it's a dangerous situation, isn't it, Mike, for this afternoon? Uh, the, real, the reality is I needed to get that out of the way because the text is really no laughing matter. There really is no laughing matter when we come to the text today. What we'll actually see is that Amos is once again calling out things like moral corruption and indicating that that corruption, now listen, listen here, the corruption can coexist with a highly developed sense of religion. Corruption can coexist with a religious facade. And uh, the people of Israel might have said that they loved God, but what Amos is calling out is that their actions towards their neighbors and even the religious rituals themselves didn't align with the Word of God. So I invite you this morning, if you would stand with me. Uh, this is a longer text. If you have trouble standing, you're welcome to remain seated, but it is our habit to stand uh, in honor of the reading of God's Word. And I'll be reading all of Amos 4 and 15 verses in Amos 5. Listen to this message, you cows of Bashan, who are on the hill of Samaria, women who oppress the poor and crush the needy, who say to their husbands, bring us something to drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness, look, the days are coming when you will be taken away with hooks, every last one of you with fish hooks. You will go through breaches in the wall, each woman straight ahead, and you will be driven along toward Harmon. This is the Lord's declaration. Come to Bethel and rebel. Rebel even more at Gilgal. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tenths every three days. Offer leavened bread as a thank offering and loudly proclaim your freewill offerings, for that is what you Israelites love to do. This is the declaration of the Lord God. I gave you absolutely nothing to eat in all your cities, a shortage of food in all your communities, yet you did not return to me. This is the Lord's declaration. I also withheld the rain from you, 
while there were still three months until harvest. I sent rain on one city, but no rain on another. One field received rain, while a field with no rain withered. Two or three cities staggered to another city to drink water, but were not satisfied. Yet you did not return to me. This is the Lord's declaration. I struck you with blight and mildew. The locusts devoured your many gardens and vineyards, your fig trees and olive trees, yet you did not return to me. This is the Lord's declaration. I sent plagues like those of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword, along with your captured horses. I caused the stench of your camp to fill your nostrils, yet you did not return to me. This is the Lord's declaration. I overthrew some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were like a burning stick snatched from a fire, yet you did not return to me. This is the Lord's declaration. Therefore, Israel, this is what I will do to you. And since I will do that to you, Israel, prepare to meet your God. He is here, the one who forms the mountains, creates the wind, and reveals his thoughts to man, the one who makes the dawn out of darkness and strides on the heights of the earth. The Lord, the God of armies, is his name. Listen to this message that I'm singing for you. A lament, house of Israel. She has fallen. Virgin Israel will never rise again. She lies abandoned on her land with no one to raise her up. For the Lord God says, the city that marches out a thousand strong will have only a hundred left. The one that marches out a hundred strong will have only ten left in the house of Israel. For the Lord says to the house of Israel, seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel or go to Gilgal or journey to Beersheba. For Gilgal will certainly go into exile, and Bethel will come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, or he will spread like fire throughout the house of Joseph. It will consume everything with no one at Bethel to extinguish it. Those who turn justice into wormwood also throw righteousness to the ground. The one who made the Pleiades and Orion, who turns darkness into dawn and darkens day into night, who summons the water of the sea and pours it out over the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. He brings destruction on the strong, and it falls on the fortress. They hate the one who convicts the guilty at the city gate, and they despise the one who speaks with integrity. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and exact a grain tax from him, you will never live in the houses of cut stone you have built. You will never drink the wine from the lush vineyards you have planted. For I know your crimes are many and your sins innumerable. They oppress the righteous, take a bribe, and deprive the poor of justice at the city gates. Therefore, those who have insight will keep silent at such a time, for the days are evil. Pursue good and not evil so that you may live, and the Lord, the God of armies, will be with you as you have claimed. Hate evil and love good. Establish justice in the city gate. Perhaps the Lord, the God of armies, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. This is the word of the Lord from the prophet Amos. Thank you for standing in honor of it. Please be seated. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak through your word. Lord, we have heard your holy word this morning. May you already be calling and convicting and 
teaching our hearts. Would your Holy Spirit move among us? And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. It has been said that rituals without a heart for God mean nothing. Rituals, apart from a heart for God, are empty. What we find in Amos chapter 4 and 5 is that God is never satisfied with a purely external religion without internal faith. By their religious activity, the people of the northern kingdom, to whom Amos was delivering his message of impending judgment, were probably convinced that they loved their God. The so-called house of God, Bethel, was one of the places they would go and they would make their sacrifices. And if you will pardon the anachronism, when the Pew Research pollsters were calling the people of Israel and they were asking if they described themselves as worshipers of God, I'm sure they would have answered the phone and said, yes, I am a worshiper of God. They had convinced themselves that their external religion amounted to some sort of satisfactory relationship with God. They more than likely assumed this to be true because they were living in relative prosperity. And so they assumed that because of their prosperity, God must really approve of them to allow them to live in such luxury. But the truth is, God hated their external religion without a heart for his will and a heart for his word. Israel may have said that they loved God, but there were several things that clearly demonstrated they were misguided in that thinking. First of all, if you're following along in the outlines that you received this morning when you came in, Israel might have said that they loved God, but they didn't love people. They might have said they loved God, but they didn't love people. I see this primarily in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 4, and then in chapter 5, verse 7, and in chapter 5, verses 10 through 13. In verses 1 through 3 of chapter 4, the metaphor of the cows of Bashan is basically referring to the fact that like the cattle of that verdant and lush region, these aristocratic women were well-fed and pampered. But the more disturbing reality is that their luxury had come on the backs of oppression of the poor and the needy. Verses 2 and 3 of chapter 4 tell us what God really thinks of this behavior. He swears by his own holiness, which is to say that he's showing how immense the gravity of this situation is, how he feels about the mistreatment of the poor that will ultimately lead these women and all of Israel into exile for their lack of love for their neighbor. And then in chapter 5, in verse 7, we see that the people of God were turning justice into wormwood or justice into bitterness. The New English translation says that they threw what is fair and right to the ground. And then in verses 10 through 13 of chapter 5, Amos provides several examples of the people's failure to exhibit this kind of justice and righteousness. Look at your Bibles and see that there are those who hate justice and the truth. You can see that in verse 10. They hate uh, giving the right verdict at the city gates. Then there are those who exhort, extort the poor for their own financial advantage. You can find that in verse 11 of chapter 5. 
Then there are those who corrupt the legal system. They'll take bribes and they'll play favorites. And you see that in verse 12. And all of this was so normal that it was too dangerous for uh, the smart people to see all these unjust acts and actually speak up because they would be uh, violently oppressed. If they said something about this, they would be uh, shunned for speaking up for the injustices that are done. So verse 13, good people are being quiet about all the oppression that's going on and the evil taking place, which surely only further contributed to the rapid decline of morality and a care for true justice and right living in their society. When Jesus was asked, what is the first and greatest commandment? He replied, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. True love for God inevitably should lead to love for neighbor which is what Israel was clearly failing to do. There was a disconnect, so clearly they hadn't loved God with all their heart, or they would be loving their neighbor as themselves. Secondly, Israel might have said that they loved God, but they really loved showing how religious they were. They said they loved God, but they really loved showing how religious they were. Back in chapter 4, in verses 4 and 5, we see Amos using surprising and ironic, even sarcastic language, using phrases that would have sounded like a call to worship or a summons to worship. He invites the people of Israel to come to Bethel and rebel. He invites them to come to Gilgal and sin. One commentator helpfully suggests that the logic of Amos's mocking invitation goes something like this. If you think that benefit accrues from doing these rituals then you might as well, the more ritual, the more blessing. Like, get, get going. Do more tithes. You know, instead of doing it every three years, do it every three days. And instead of, you know, offering a sacrifice once a year, offer a sacrifice every day. If the logic is do the ritual and be more blessed, then I'm inviting you sarcastically to just do it more often. In verse 5, he says, Offer leavened bread as a, sacri- a thanksgiving sacrifice. Loudly proclaim your free will offerings, for that is what you Israelites, here it is, love to do. Now, in verse 5, do you see one thing that is notably missing from the sacrifices that they do bring? The sin offering. They bring thank offerings and free will offerings. They even boast about them in verse 5, so that everyone knows how generous and how pious they are. But there's no sin offerings presumably because they had no sense that they were indeed sinful. Charles Wesley once came across a woman like this. She wanted some of his attention, so she asked him to pray for her because she said to him, I'm a great sinner. And she added, I'm a Christian, but sometimes I just fail so dreadfully, so please pray for me, Brother Wesley. Now, he suspected that much of this was hypocrisy, So he looked at her rather sternly and used her own words against her and said, Madam, I will pray for you, for you truly are a very great sinner. And she was taken aback. She answered, what do you mean? I've never done anything very wrong. Dear friend, 
are you going through the motions when you confess your sins? When you prevail upon the blood of Christ, are you more in love with having a clear conscience than you are in love with the cross of Jesus? Do you come to the cross and think that you can receive the gift of his shed blood and then keep on sinning and you think you're getting away with it? That's not how the grace of God works. Romans chapter 6 tells us that either sin will reign like a king in your heart or grace will reign like a king in your heart. There's only room for one on the throne, one or the other. And if you want to keep on sinning, you better check the throne because what's on it is probably not the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but your own sinful desires. One last word about verse 5. One commentator points out that uh, Amos uses the word love is the term for covenant love or loyalty to What Amos reveals is the true love of Israel's heart, the true king on the throne of their lives. They don't really love Yahweh. They don't really love neighbor as the covenant relationship demands. What they love, Amos says, is the sacrificial system with its reward for procedure. And they love donation with its excuse for other social and religious failures. He says, this is what you really love to do. Again, the probing question for all of us today, what do you love to do? Do you love the cross of Jesus? Or do you, like the old song used to say, love playing games at the foot of the cross? Continuing on to verses 6 through 11 of chapter 4, we see thirdly, Israel might have said they loved God, but they ignored his warnings. They ignored his warnings five times In verses 6 through 11, Amos says the Lord sent various natural disasters and other calamities, but the people would not return to him. Did you see that phrase at the end of verse 6, the end of verse 8, 9, 10, and 11? Yet you did not return to me. Under the terms of the covenant between God and Israel, when the people disobeyed the Lord, He would send various disasters so that they could realize their error and turn back to him. These disasters are often referred to as covenant curses. You can find them in Leviticus 26. You can find them in Deuteronomy 27 and 28. And these not-so-pleasant reminders should have served as a wake-up call for the people of Israel. But instead, in their hard-heartedness, They ignored the warnings that the Lord gave them. And so verse 12 comes with that ominous conclusion. Amos says, prepare to meet your God. I can only assume uh, this is the origin or perhaps one of the beginnings of that phrase that we hear, prepare to meet your maker. And it's right there in verse 13. The Bible says that the God that they will meet is the one who is for in the mountains the God who creates the wind. The Lord, the God of armies is his name. And the meeting to which Amos is referring is not a pleasant one, but one of judgment for repeatedly ignoring the warnings God had sent to the people of Israel. The coming destruction from the Assyrians was not 
going to be some sort of unexpected surprise outbreak by a short-tempered God. Instead, it was the outcome of many patient appeals and warnings that the people should have heeded, but did not. Friends, there are some of you here today that come to church every week. Maybe you come with your parents or with your spouse, and you hear the warnings of God's impending judgment of sin. The psalmist says he will judge the world in righteousness. He will rule the world with justice. And time after time, God has warned you through his word and through the ministry of this pulpit, whether it's me or the other elders sharing, that there is a judgment coming. Or maybe there's been a wake-up call in your own life, some sort of wake-up call that God is trying to use to get your attention. The question is, will you heed the warnings of God? Or are you content to just do the outward religious thing? You come to church each week and you pay your dues, you pay no attention to the warnings that God is sending your way. And I beg you, do not be like Israel was. Number next in your outline, Israel might have said that they loved God, but their religion was as good as dead. Their religion was as good as dead. In chapter 5, Amos begins a foreshadowing funeral song for the nation of Israel. Now, it's shocking to think of somebody singing about your funeral while you're still alive, isn't it? It reminds me of the, uh, the Loaded Goat episode from Andy Griffith, like where the mayor thinks that Andy and Barney were blown up by the goat that had eaten itself full of dynamite. And so he's standing in the sheriff's office giving a eulogy of sort for the sheriff and for Barney because he had heard a blast go off at the highway and he thought Barney and Andy were there with the goat. But he doesn't know Andy and Barney are right behind him listening to his good thoughts for the dearly departed. <laughs> and so he's, he's hearing the mayor talk about him. Well, this Unlike the confused mayor of Mayberry, Amos knew Israel was at that moment still seemingly alive, and he is using this lament to shock them, to get their attention. He even uses, according to the commentaries, the proper format for a funeral lament. He's got the description of the tragic loss, a call for people to react, a direct address to the fallen, and a summons to mourning. It's a masterpiece lament for Israel, whose religion is going to the grave. Now, dead religion was not just a problem when Amos was preaching, and it wasn't only a problem when Jesus walked the earth. The Apostle Paul also condemned dead religion. He wrote about it in Romans chapter 2, in verse 17. He said, if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will— and approval is excellent because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. He says, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? And then he condemns the Jewish people for their empty religion. He says, you who boast in the law, dishonor God 
by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Hypocrisy, to have God's word, to preach God's word, to teach God's word, and yet not to live what you preach and what you teach. So let the word of God from Amos to Romans warn you this morning. I wonder, do your ears hear a song of rejoicing? Songs of a faint, distant, perhaps well-done, good and faithful servant? Or are you hearing the faint sounds of a requiem when God peers beyond your religious acts and into your own heart? I implore you to take the word of God seriously because lastly, Israel might have said that they loved God, but they didn't take his word seriously. They might have said they loved God, but they didn't take the word of God seriously. In verses 4 and 5 of chapter 5, do you see the Lord's invitation to repentance? Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel or go to Gilgal or journey to Beersheba. But Israel disregarded God's invitation to repentance by continuing to worship false idols at religious centers like Bethel and Gilgal and Beersheba. Bethel was supposed to be a place that you could go and meet with God, but it had been corrupted from the beginning by King Jeroboam I, who had set up golden calves, essentially making it a center of false worship. You can find that in 1 Kings chapter 12. Gilgal was a symbol of possessing the promised land and was also condemned by Amos as he warns the people not to go to Gilgal because Gilgal will certainly go into exile, which in the Hebrew is actually a play on words. And then in Beersheba, uh, Beersheba, although it was located closer to Judah, closer to the southern kingdom, it was frequented by the people of Israel to do these empty religious practices, despite the fact that it had been previously associated positively with the patriarchs, with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And so this is not just a condemnation of the northern kingdom, but all of God's people, all of the descendants of Abraham, who had who had worshipped falsely at Beersheba, should have been worshipping the God of their fathers in the way that God had prescribed. The Israelites did not respond to God's invitation to seek him. They didn't take his word seriously that he would bring judgment. And so the clear, the clear question of application for you today is will you respond to God's call to repentance? Will you seek the Lord and live are you prepared, dear friend, to meet your maker? He is the one who hung the stars in space. He is the one who created galaxies and made the constellations. The Lord, the God of armies, is his name. Will you seek him and live? The way to do so is clear. Without getting into the nitty-gritty details, the structure of Amos 5 is a chiasm. That comes from the Greek letter chi, which looks like our letter X, which essentially means it's symmetrical. And the point of saying that is that seeking the Lord and living in verses 4 and 5 is further explained in the symmetrical verses in verses 14 and 15. So Amos says in chapter 5, verse 14, Pursue good and not evil so that you may live. Do you, do you see how he's explaining seek the Lord and live? How? Pursue good and not evil. 
and the Lord, the God of armies, will be with you as you have claimed. And then verse 15, hate evil and love good. Establish justice at the city gate. Perhaps the Lord, the God of armies, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. So we can rightly say, first of all, by way of application, to truly love God means pursuing good and not evil. In contrast to the self-seeking Sumerians and the kind of self-indulgence that oppressed the poor, true love for God involves pursuing the good of our neighbors and caring for others. Think more good Samaritan of the New Testament than cow's abation in the old, right? Genuine love of God means obeying the first and the second great commandments. But then I love how Amos puts it another way in verse 15 to help us understand. To truly love God means hating evil and loving good. It can be tempting. I confess this is a temptation for me at times. Sometimes to affirm when we see good things, but shrink back from outcrying evil and injustice. Often that will cost us something. Think of the smart, silent people in verse 13, right? Like, it costs you something to outcry against evil. Now, let me quickly note, Christians can hate evil without being hateful to people that are made in God's image. We can walk and chew gum at the same time. So, we must call out sin for what it truly is. And trust me, there's a lot of sin and evil in our world worth calling out. As one example, what is being done in the euphemistic name of gender-affirming care for minors is pure evil, and Christians can and should say that out loud. Meanwhile, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. Remember, we can be kind to people and love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. So pursue good and hate evil. But if that were all that I told you today, I could be afraid that you would think that the way to being right with God is a matter of doing more good and doing less bad. Do more good deeds and do less bad deeds. That's not entirely wrong. Let me explain for those of you who are freaking out. Look at Romans chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. The Bible says that God will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. The problem is not with the law. The law is good. The law is right. The law is true. We are called to do all these things. And if you could seek all these things as God rightly requires, he would give you eternal life. The problem is we're all sinners. And no one is righteous. Not even one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. And in case, in case you think I'm making that up, that's literally what Paul says in the next chapter in Romans 3 verse 10. It is written, no one under, no is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. So is this some kind of joke? Like, is God dooming the Israelites from the start? Keep this law, but you really can't do it. No. Because there was a way to pursue the law 
that the Israelites missed. God redeemed the people out of Israel by grace. Then he gave them his commands. This is how my redeemed people are to live. But Israel messed it up. So look at chapter 9 of Romans. What shall we say? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Paul tells you. Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Notice, the rock is a him. The stumbling stone is a person. The Israelites stumbled over their need of Messiah. They tried to pursue good and hate evil in their own strength. They pursued the law as if they could obtain by their own works. So the last thing I want to do this morning is leaving you thinking, you just need to try harder. You just need to do more in your own strength and let you trip like the Israelites did. There was always a goal. There was always a purpose of the law. And Paul tells us what it is in Romans 10 and verse 4. Christ, Christ, Messiah, is the end, the goal, the purpose, the telos, everything to which the law was pointing for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ was the purpose of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes by faith. So I conclude this morning with a third point of application. This is it. To truly love God means believing in Christ by faith. You dare not try to pursue righteousness in your own strength or you will fail. But if by faith you lay hold of Jesus Christ and you receive his gift of righteousness, he will transform your desires and your deeds, and you will be conformed into his image and will do the good works that God has planned for you to do. See Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Dear friends, the, the Israelites proved that empty religion results in evil deeds because there's an evil heart at its core. So don't confuse going to church and giving an offering or reading or standing or kneeling or praying with genuine faith in Jesus Christ and repentance from your sin. You must begin with faith in Christ and that will result in pure and undefiled religion that visits orphans and widows in their affliction and keeps oneself unstained from the world. Listen, holy conduct and heartfelt care for the poor and the oppressed and the outcast naturally flow from a transformed heart of faith. So friends, seek the Lord and live. And do so by faith. The just will live by faith, Paul quotes in Romans 1 as his theme verse. 
Would you seek him and live by faith in Jesus Christ? And if you do that, it will always inevitably be followed by a holy hatred of evil and a passionate pursuit of mercy and kindness and justice.